Chapter twenty two of Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume five, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty two. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, Friday morning, past two o'clock. Io triumph, io Clarissa, sing. Once more, what a happy man thy friend. A silly dear novice, to be heard to tell the coachman where to carry her, and to go to Hampstead of all the villages about London, the place where we had been together more than once. Methinks I am sorry she managed no better. I shall find the recovery of her too easy a task, I fear. Had she but known how much difficulty enhances the value of anything with me, and had she the least notion of obliging me by it, she would never have stopped short at Hampstead, surely. Well, but after all this exultation thou wilt ask, if I have already got back my charmer. I have not. But knowing where she is, is almost the same thing as having her in my power. And it delights me to think how she will start and tremble when I first pop upon her. How she will look with conscious guilt, that will more than wipe off my guilt of Wednesday night, when she sees her injured lover, an acknowledged husband, from whom the greatest of felonies she would have stolen herself. But thou wilt be impatient to know how I came by my lights. Read the enclosed letter, as I have told thee, I have given my fellow, in apprehension of such an elopement, and that will tell thee all, and what I may reasonably expect from the rascal's diligence and management, if he wishes ever to see my face again. I received it about half an hour ago, just as I was going to lie down in my clothes, and it has made me so much alive that, midnight as it is, I have sent for a blunt's chariot to attend me here by day-peep, with my usual coachman, if possible, and knowing not what else to do with myself, I sat down, and in the joy of my heart, have not only written thus far, but have concluded upon the measures I shall take, when admitted to her presence, for well am I aware of the difficulties I shall have to contend with from her perverseness. Honoured sir, this is to certify your honour, as how I am here at Hampstead, where I have found out my lady to be in lodgings at one Mrs. Moore's, near upon Hampstead Heath, and I have so ordered matters that her ladyship cannot stir, but I must have notice of her goings and comings. As I knowed I durst not look into your honour's face, if I had not found out my lady, though she was gone off the premise in a quarter of an hour, as a man may say, so I knowed you would be glad at heart to know I have found her out and so I send this Peter Patrick, who is to have five shillings, it being now near twelve of the clock at night, for he would not stir without a hearty drink too besides, and I was willing all should be snug likeways at the lodgings before I sent. I have money of your honours, but I thought as how, if the man was paid by me beforehand, he might play tricks, so left that to your honour. My lady knows nothing of my being here away, but I thought it best not to leave the place, because she has taken the lodgings but for a few nights. If your honour come to the upper flax, I will be in sight all the day about the tap-house or the heath. I have borrowed another coat instead of your honour's livery, and a black wig, so cannot be known by my lady, if as how she should see me, and have made as if I had the toothache, so with my handkerchief at my mouth, the teeth which your honour was pleased to beat out with your honour's fist, and my damned wide mouth, as your honour notifies it to be, cannot be known to be mine. The two inner letters I had from my lady, before she went off the premises, 
one was to be left at mr wilson's for miss howe the next was to be for your honour but i knowed you was not at the place directed and being afeard of what fell out so i kept them for your honour and so could not give em to you until i seed you miss howe's i only made believe to her ladyship as i carried it and said as how there was nothing left for her as she wished to know so here they be both i am may it please your honour your honour's most dutiful and once more happy servant william summers the two inner letters as will cause them tis plain were written for no other purpose but to send him out of the way with them and one of them to amuse me that directed to miss howe is only this thursday june eighth i write this my dear miss howe only for a faint and to see if it will go current i shall write at large very soon if not miserably prevented clarissa harlow now jack will not her faints justify mine does she not invade my province thinkest thou and is it not now fairly come to who shall most deceive and cheat the other so i thank my stars we are upon a par at last as to this point which is a great ease to my conscience thou must believe and if what hudibras tells us is true the dear fugitive has also abundance of pleasure to come doubtless the pleasure is as great in being cheated as to cheat as lookers-on find most delight who least perceive the juggler's slight and still the less they understand the more admire the sleight of hand this my dear juggler's letter to me the other inner letter sent by will thursday june eighth mr lovelace do not give me cause to dread your return if you would not that i should hate you for ever send me half a line by the bearer to assure me that you will not attempt to see me for a week to come i cannot look you in the face without equal confusion and indignation the obliging me in this is but a poor atonement for your last night's vile behaviour you may pass this time in a journey to lord m s and i cannot doubt if the ladies of your family are as favourable to me as you have assured me they are but that you will have interest enough to prevail with one of them to oblige me with their company after your baseness of last night you will not wonder that i insist upon this proof of your future honour if captain tomlinson comes meantime i can hear what he has to say and send you an account of it but in less than a week if you see me it must be owing to a fresh act of violence of which you know not the consequence send me the requested line if ever you expect to have the forgiveness confirmed the promise of which you extorted from the unhappy clarissa harlowe now belford what canst thou say in behalf of this sweet rogue of a lady what canst thou say for her tis apparent that she was fully determined upon an elopement when she wrote it and thus would she make me of party against myself by drawing me in to give her a week's time to complete it and more wicked still send me upon a fool's errand to bring up one of my cousins when we came to have the satisfaction of finding her gone off and me exposed for ever what punishment can be bad enough for such a little villain of a lady but mind moreover how plausibly she accounts by this billet supposing she should not find an opportunity of eloping before i return for the resolution of not seeing me for a week and for the bread-and-butter expedient so childish as we thought it the chariot is not come and if it were it is yet too soon for everything but my impatience and as i have already taken all my measures and can think of nothing but my triumph i will resume her violent letter in order to strengthen my resolutions against her i was before in too gloomy a way to proceed with it but now the subject is all alive to me and my gayer fancy like the sunbeams will irradiate it and turn the solemn deep green into a brighter verger when i have called upon my charmer to explain some parts of her letter 
and to atone for others, I will send it, or copy of it, to thee. Suffice it at present to tell thee, in the first place, that she is determined never to be my wife. To be sure, there ought to be no compulsion in so material a case. Compulsion was her parents' fault, which I have censured so severely, that I shall hardly be guilty of the same. I am therefore glad I know her mind as to this essential point. I have ruined her, she says. Now that's a fib, take it her own way. If I had, she would not, perhaps, have run away from me. She is thrown upon the wide world. Now I own that Hampstead Heath affords very pretty and very extensive prospects, but tis not the wide world neither, and suppose that to be her grievance, I hope soon to restore her to a narrower. I am the enemy of her soul, as well as of her honour, confoundedly severe. Nevertheless, another fib, for I love her soul very well, but think no more of it in this case than of my own. She is to be thrown upon strangers. And is not that her own fault? Much against my will, I am sure. She is cast from a state of independency into one of obligation. She never was in a state of independency, nor is it fit a woman should of any age or in any state of life. And as to the state of obligation, there is no such thing as living without being beholden to somebody. Mutual obligation is the very essence and soul of the social and commercial life. Why should she be exempt from it? I am sure the person she raves at desires not such an exemption, has been long dependent upon her, and would rejoice to owe further obligations to her than he can boast of hitherto. She talks of her father's curse. But have I not repaid him for it an hundredfold in the same coin? But why must the faults of other people be laid at my door? Have I not enow of my own? But the grey-eyed dawn begins to peep. Let me sum up all. In short, then, the dear creature's letter is a collection of invectives not very new to me, though the occasion for them, no doubt, is new to her. A little sprinkling of the romantic and contradictory runs through it. She loves and she hates. She encourages me to pursue her by telling me I safely may, and yet she begs I will not. She apprehends poverty and want, yet resolves to give away her estate. To gratify whom? Why, in short, those who have been the cause of her misfortunes. And finally, though she resolves never to be mine, yet she has some regrets at leaving me because of the opening prospects of a reconciliation with her friends. But never did morning dawn so tardily as this. Neither is the charity had come. A gentleman to speak with me, Dorcas? Who can want me thus early? Captain Tomlinson, sayest thou? Surely he must have travelled all night. Early rise as I am. How could he think to find me up thus early? Let but the chariot come, and he shall accompany me in it to the bottom of the hill, though he return to town on foot. For the captain is all obliging goodness, that I may hear all he has to say and tell him all my mind, and lose no time. Well, now I am satisfied that this rebellious flight will turn to my advantage, as all crushed rebellions do to the advantage of a sovereign in possession. Dear Captain, I rejoice to see you, just in the nick of time. See, see! The rosy-fingered morn appears, and from her mantle shakes her tears. The sun arising mortals cheers, and drives the rising mists away, in promise of a glorious day. Excuse me, sir, that I salute you from my favourite bard. He that rises with the lark will sing with the lark. Strange news since I saw you, Captain. Poor mistaken lady. But you have too much goodness, I know, to reveal to her uncle Harlow the error of this capricious beauty. It will all turn out for the best. You must accompany me part of the way. I know the delight you take in composing differences, but tis the task of the prudent to heal the breaches made by the rashness and folly of the imprudent. And now all around me so still and so silent, the rattling of the chariot-wheels at a street's distance do I hear, 
and to this angel of a woman I fly. Reward, O God of love, the cause is thy own. Reward thou, as it deserves, my suffering perseverance. Succeed my endeavours to bring back to thy obedience this charming fugitive. Make her acknowledge her rashness, repent her insults, implore my forgiveness, beg to be reinstated in my favour, and that I will bury in oblivion the remembrance of her heinous offence against thee, and against me, thy faithful votary. The chariot at the door! I come! I come! I attend you, good captain. Indeed, sir. Pray, sir, civility is not ceremony. And now, dressed as a bridegroom, my heart elated beyond that of the most desiring one, attended by a footman whom my beloved never saw, I am already at Hampstead. End of letter 22